and welcome to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we got a good one for you today. It's a bit of a short one. We're all getting ready for PAX East, so no discussion today. We're just going to be jumping straight into the interview, which uh, is what I've been actually wanting to do for a while. We've got Jordan Woodward here from Rebellion Games, who was uh, one of the level designers. Uh, I'm not sure your official title, but you'll tell me in a moment for uh, Zombie Army 4 Dead War. So, hey, uh, I'm Jordan Woodward. I'm lead level designer on Zombie Army 4. Perfect. That's what I thought. But I didn't want to say, like, lead level designer, and then it turns out that you're, like, <laughs> actually not, and then you get in trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my uh, my friend works for uh, Bloober Team, and, and she's, like, a narrative d- designer, which I accidentally yeah. said narrative director once, and the narrative director got very mad right. that, uh, yeah, so, so I try to I, not step on yeah. this. I mean, I've been called elite level designer. Like, people, yeah, people, uh, people mishear it sometimes. Yeah. Um. So, what, what exactly is the difference between a level designer and a lead level designer? Um. So basically, I I manage the level design team uh, here on Zombie Army and and the sniper elite team. Uh. So basically, the main difference is that the level designers will have more focus individually on each individual level. And I will generally look at the bigger picture, uh, the overall creative vision uh, for levels, um, the main the settings and the themes, give a lot of feedback to the level design team, uh, playtest them frequently, and make sure they're consistent across all levels throughout the game. So you're kind of like taking more of a look at the, uh, the, the meta overall arc of the game. Exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd have a more of a meta overall view of the story and make sure that that's all strung together through the levels throughout the entire game. And then each level designer more has laser focus on their own level. Uh, so they don't have to worry so much about the bigger picture, even though they, they consider it, keep it in their minds. Yeah, no, that makes sense because um, you, you have to like kind of keep the game's overall arc uh, in mind. But for a level, kind of um, an arcadey kind of level broken down game like zombie army four uh you can have like a very different challenge between levels you know yeah so as you play through the game there's there's peaks and troughs of difficulty and uh more enemies that are introduced as you play through the game but generally i think we've just tried to give different experiences as you play through the game there isn't there isn't necessarily like an, an upward trend in difficulty throughout the entire game even though there are there are peaks in in the levels individually where it gets harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's actually one of the things I noticed about the game that I really really liked. Uh, even when I like first demoed it, is each level individually, uh, it, it kind of like has their own you know kind of uh, climactic moment. And over the course of a chapter, you might have a consistent, steadily incre- increasing line of of difficulty. But at the same time, each each it doesn't feel like it's all ramping in one direction. It's like kind of a, a series of, of of peaks and troughs throughout each level to make each one interesting. Yeah, and I think that was that was core to the design of each level and each chapter as well. So uh, we really wanted the game to be very replayable. We wanted people to be able to dip back into chapters they liked the most, and um, or in levels they liked the most as well. So rather than see just the game as a campaign to play and complete and done 
it's it's a game to replay with your friends and go, oh, I really like that, that level. Let's play that again. I really liked this chapter because it had that really cool siege in it. Let's play that. So that's that's really core to the design of all the levels. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, and that's that's what, what I'm thinking back on all like the, my favorite multiplayer shooters. It's not necessarily that like the final chapter, the hardest one, is always. Uh, my favorite, but there's like a certain uh, like a fun element or a really cool like climactic moment that was that was my my favorite moment, and um, you know going back and playing those is always really fun. Yeah, and I think I think really what all we tried to do is create a, a you know a ton of different experiences that I think everyone's going to pick their favorites, and I think that that's that's my main that was one of our main goals with the level design really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many how many levels are actually in the game? Because I know there's nine chapters, but I think that the last chapter is pretty much just a boss fight, right? Yes, yeah, so there's there's nine levels, uh, you know, story campaign levels, um, and then they're all split into chapters. You can play individually as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's like four chapters in each, so probably like a total of I, I think seven hundred levels. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, obviously, there's tons. It, it kind of depends how you view it. Some people have referred to each chapter as its own level. It kind of, kind of can be, I guess. But the the way we've looked at it internally is it's nine levels. But yeah, it's split into chapters because each level has its own story that uh, ultimately fits in the main story arc somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, my, my probably my favorite was the uh, Venetian level because just of the um the pure number of like easter eggs you can find just by looking around yeah that one is pretty easter egg heavy actually it was um so the easter egg approach was pretty fun uh, we we basically let the level designers loose and uh let the team loose and we have this big list internally which we said you know just chuck down any ideas you've got any movie references your favorite horror movies you've watched just let's create a massive list of all your favorite Easter eggs, all your favorite movies we can chuck in the game as Easter eggs. <laughs> and uh, like it was a really fun process for the development team. Um, and we just we kind of picked our favorites, picked ones we thought people would recognize. Um, and there's some obscure ones as well in there, which I seen cropping up on Twitter in photos. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. My, my, my favorite moment was when I was like <clears throat> looking around for collectibles. And I spotted two zombies like sitting with dipping their toes in the water, and like one of them was writing in a notebook. And I was like, I wonder what that's a reference to. I wasn't quite sure, but I was like, that's a cute little moment. Just these two yeah. zombies like I sharing mean, a moment. A lot of them have a lot of them have like little niche movie references. There's like a Shaun of the Dead in there with some uh, records. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a one of the levels. There's a there's a quote that's like dogs can look up. It's, you know there's like really niche little quotes mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that there's of course the bigger ones like the stranger things reference that uh yeah. is its own little puzzle yeah and uh the, the level designer for mission two uh rafa he came up with that reference um and it was just like that's cool prototype it let's put it in the game he he did all the prototyping of that and it was like yeah it works let's keep it mm-hmm. it's kind of that simple yeah yeah so um you know, on a more serious note, uh, what you're saying is that earlier is that these these levels are designed in such a way that you can come back later and play them with friends because this is like a replayable multiplayer experience. How do you go about designing a, a, a level so that it will have uh, pl- consistent playability across difficulty levels? Because as you add more enemies and tougher enemies to the mix, it's going to like change the way that you view the level and make it more difficult to design a, a balanced level for that. 
Yeah, so I think that was probably our biggest challenge, the, the balancing of encounters and especially across multiple difficulties. Um, really how we approached that is just a lot of playtesting and iteration. We, we had an idea of what we wanted out of each encounter to start with. Uh, we started planning with that in mind. We'd get the first iteration and playthrough of that encounter or siege. Um, and then we'd, we'd just play it with um, internally and we'd, we'd get feedback from the team and we'd, we'd tweak what was in that encounter based on based on the feedback that the team gave. Uh, and yeah, so it's less about, I think it's less about the numbers of enemies that make that can make an encounter difficult and more about the combination of enemy types. So we have we have all these enemy types uh, like shadow demons and blind screamers, and once you start to combo those up, the difficulty goes up as well. Mm. Um, so so yeah, um, some fights will be kind of pure massive grunts, and then other fights will be more about the combination and position of the enemies and when they spawn and uh, kind of you know, assaulting players or spawning enemies behind them to trip them up. I, I think we just tried to make every encounter different and memorable in their own way um and yeah i guess uh, as you as you turn up the difficulty or, or increase the player numbers we uh, increase we often increase the number of enemies as well um but yeah i guess we had to increase it to a point where players wouldn't feel completely overwhelmed like it was still achievable but um was was a was a tough challenge yeah so what's the co- most common factor that you actually tweak <laughs> to get a level to try to feel right? Um, in terms of like enemy? Uh, no, actually more in terms of level design, because I think that we can all in our brains picture like, okay, let's add, you know, a couple more of the basic zombies here. Maybe that'll feel yeah. right. But I, I'm more talking about in terms of the level structure the positioning sure. of stuff, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of the a lot of the conscious thought in the level design was about co-op play and how you would be able to work together as a team using different perks. So um, players would be able to kind of specialize their characters towards the direction they like to play using perks, rather than as having preset classes that people could choose. So people might put more of their points into shotguns or sniper rifles for example um and if you're if you're more of a sniper player we need to give those sniper players options to co- to cover their players to cover their friends and have uh vantage points to take out tough enemies as well so while we're developing the levels we're planning for like sniper vantage points high up that can have quite a good uh view of cover over the whatever the objective that other players might be uh, completing um and we try to it's i guess it's i guess it's more of a linear uh level design than say sniper elite uh, because we've got a more choreographed enemy uh enemy fight um but we've still tried to create this sandboxy feel to it where you're encouraged to explore you're encouraged to take different routes uh go into side rooms to collect items fight, like look around for easter eggs and look around for weapon attachments and weapon upgrade tokens so yeah i think it's uh, the level design approach was really to create variety and encourage exploration while still choreographing 
cool encounters. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think that um, I, I think that 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 kind of variety that you're talking about can't be understated because. In a game like this that's supposed to be kind of uh, played with multiple people across, uh, like uh, having multiple encounters in one play session, you know, you're, you're kind of, des- it's kind of designed to be sat down and played for an hour or more with friends in which you're going to see a few different uh, uh, chapters or even a couple levels. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to try to please all four of those players at once because you're, you're kind of dealing with four different levels of expectations as you're going into it. So you got to try to make the most diverse and uh, 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 appealing uh, series of challenges possible. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, I think that trying to make it appeal to a diverse range of players is something we tried to do. Definitely. Um, especially with the, the narrative, there's, there's quite a deep narrative and deep lore in the game that throws back to previous games as well but you don't have to have played the previous games or you know pay full attention to the narrative and what the characters are saying to enjoy the game so you know there's we have tried to make something for everyone really in this game yeah yeah i mean and that's that's kind of the weird thing about zombie army is that um like i i don't I don't really think that when Zombie Army started, uh, anyone was thinking that it was going to be, you know, years later we'd be coming out with the fourth one and it would be, you know, its own kind of whole standalone yeah. product. Um, and and so, you know, Jesse, who unfortunately couldn't join us today because uh, he has to go to, to school because he's a fucking nerd, <laughs> uh, he he was saying that, uh, you know, he really liked the, the original uh zombie army games and they're, they're, it definitely like kind of was this 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 unexpected uh hit so how do you go about managing the expectations of those that classic player base with the actual need to evolve the game so i mean, so basically we made sure that the, the development team had knew the game inside out the previous zombie army games inside out um and we designed with our fans in mind and we needed to do we needed to do justice to our fans with this game we didn't want to you know start from start again and basically and break the mold fully we wanted to provide an experience that was familiar uh but still something new and uh modern and uh something that kind of turned the game up to turn the franchise up to 11 really and added a lot more detail but also um yeah, provided those familiar elements like returning characters like Carl and Boris and a storyline that was uh, continuing from the previous games. So, uh, and all the little touches like Easter eggs and the whole vibe to the game, uh, trying to stick to that B-movie cult horror, uh, like 80s, 80s horror vibe uh, with the, you know, symphony music and all those sort of overtones. So it's, it's, kind of just staying true to what the franchise is while making kind of what feels like a bit of a natural evolution for us. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because, um, this is kind of evolving in a different way than, uh, the sniper elite franchises. Cause the sniper elite franchise has kind of moved to a more open world game, which is, mm-hmm. uh, where I feel that like that series has kind of always tried to been moving and tried to be moving. Whereas, uh, zombie army is, is moving more in towards like a tight, uh, multiplayer arcade 
uh, experience yeah. with a lot more kind of explosive, fun action moments. Yeah, it's probably um, Zombie Army's probably moved to a direction where we've kind of we know what we're doing. We we found our feet with this. We we just know what we were making with it. Um, even though we've iterated throughout the process, we've kind of known what the game is. Um, whereas yeah, I guess something more like Sniper Elite, uh, we've kind of had we've stepped. We've made kind of larger steps, especially from like Sniper Elite to Sniper Elite Four, Sniper Elite Three to Sniper Elite Four, where you've seen it go more open world. I guess that's where the franchise always wanted, Sniper Elite franchise always wanted to go, um, but that's moved in that direction, you know, due to technological advances and um, you know those sorts of things. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, but like, what kind of technological advances has uh, Sniper, the the zombie army side of things, uh, benefited from that people might not be aware of? Um, well, I guess there's a lot of uh, art, technological improvements, and lighting in the engine that's improved massively. Um, a lot of uh, visual effects, such as fog. Um, and all that water shaders and all that sort of thing, um, which if anyone's seen our photo mode, the game, the game screenshots incredibly well. It looks phenomenal. Um, so there's that as well. And plus, obviously, the um, the newer consoles allow you to have uh, more enemies on screen, more more zombies, more AI. Um, so we we're allowed to we're kind of able to pack, give an experience where we can fill the screen full of grunts and let you just go crazy with a machine gun or a shotgun mowing all these corpses down and seeing all the ragdolls and bits and pieces go flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely would say that uh, my favorite part of Zombie Army 4 as opposed to the previous ones is that this one definitely feels more tailored towards uh, multiple playstyles. Like, you don't really have to use the sniper rifle uh, in the game unless you want to. Yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, as I was saying earlier, that's kind of core to the design that people are able to pick pick how they want to play the game. Um, we're not forcing you to use the sniper rifle. Uh, we want you to have a conversation with your with your friends and you know try and create a well rounded squad, um, preferably. I guess of like what your friend might be a, a sniper and you're, you're going to go up front with a machine gun. Someone else might have a shotgun. Someone might be specially in medic or melee. So we want the players to have that conversation and start to decide for themselves how they want to play as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we try to encourage that, um, in bite sized chunks as well. If you look at how the chapters are structured, you'll hit a safe room at the end of every chapter. And that's a nice moment to regroup with your friends. You've got a workbench there. You can spend your upgrade tokens you found from the previous section. Um, you can start to have a conversation about changing out perks, changing out weapon upgrades, uh, and switching weapons. And if you've played through the game previously, you might know what's coming next. So you can start to start to have conversations about, okay, it's a good time for us all to switch to shotguns, or you know, for example. Uh, so yeah. Sorry. Um, no, that's actually what I was going to bring up next is that you're were, you were talking about is that, you know, you have those little breaks that let you change up how you're playing is that, you know, um, when you're first playing through the campaign, probably on one of the easier difficulties, the presentation of the challenge is going to be largely surprising. Like, you know, you know, what enter into a safe room. Um, the level I'm thinking of is the one where you have the, the train yard and it's big and open. And then you get into the, the next area and it's like all these closed 
close corridors and you're going to have to change up your play style to adapt to the new environment. Um, And then as you play on harder difficulties, you're going to know kind of the challenge that's that's coming and you're going to try to adapt to the situation by, you know, oh, this is the level where we're all underground. Everyone grabs shotguns, you know? Exactly. Um, Yeah. 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 So my my question was when once the player under understands what the challenge is going to be, how does your job as a level designer for keeping the challenge fresh and interesting change? How do you uh, through make it so that through multiple playthroughs and difficulty levels, uh, it keeps things fresh? Uh, I guess this is a lot where the some of the score and combo meter comes in. Um, it's a lot of the competitive co-op elements um, where once if you're kind of a more hardcore player and you're replaying the game with friends, you might start to try and min-max your score and um, start to put perks into things which are going to make your combo meter higher than your friends. And at that point, it becomes a bit of a potentially slightly different game where you're, you're trying to steal kills from your friends. You're trying to compete for headshots. You're trying to get that combo meter and your score the highest it can. And you're potentially um, searching through the game again for all the collectibles, Easter eggs, um, and all the you know, achievements you haven't found. There's kind of a lot of that in there as well for replayability. So I think um, the you're, I think a, I would get, I kind of say an average first play playthrough would probably be missing a lot of the um, underlying uh, nuances of the game, the underlying depth of the game, um, and then a, and then a second playthrough or, or further would probably be uh, you know looking into the depth of the game and really trying to min max your your play style and try and increase your score mm-hmm. no that makes sense um so then i kind of my, my last general question before i move into some more nitty-gritty stuff is uh single player versus the multiplayer experience so one of the things you talked about just now was the the finding of the collectibles that's something that i kind of consider to be more of a single player experience like vibe um because yeah. i don't want i don't want to go hunting for collectibles while my friends are like sitting at the exit waiting to go you know yeah, sure. um so how, how do you go about uh balancing the game for the single player experience versus the multiplayer experience yeah i guess that's a bit of a tough one um the game sits it's a, it's a bit trickier than uh, if you if you know you're only making a co-op game or if you're only making a solo game. That's because um, if you were doing either one of those, um, it, your job is a bit easier because you can predict what players are going to do a bit more. Um, so yeah, we do have to. I guess we we've added areas where you have to regroup before you move on. So um, and try to communicate that to the player. So or the players. So if you are waiting for friends, we kind of hint at you that, you know, your friends are waiting, you need to regroup to move on. And uh, I guess we rely a little bit on you, you talking to each other and going, come on, we're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But there's, there still should be, you know, while you, while your friends are hunting collectibles, each, each sort of, uh, split in gameplay is never too far away. So your friends are probably never, never going, you know, in a completely wrong direction, they're never veering off course too far. They might, they might go away from the fight for a little bit to go find a collectible, but it probably won't, hopefully it won't take them too long to get back to the fight or back to where you need to move on. Mm-hmm. So I'm more of asking about these, these, uh, like narrative moments throughout the level 
that a player might uh, appreciate more playing the game by themselves than with than in the co-op mode. You know, because the game is designed to be playable both single player and multiplayer. Yeah, I think um, I guess a solo play would you're probably going to appreciate the narrative more on a solo play. Uh, than on a multiplayer playthrough because there's going to be a lot more going on on multiplayer, a lot more people shooting. Uh, the characters will also be talking to each other as well. And that's, that's, I guess, what differentiates solo and multiplayer a little bit. We have, um, this, we have dialogue between the co-op characters. So, you know, Boris and Shola might be having uh, a bit of banter between them and they all have their own lines that play with different combinations of different uh, characters as well. So you get a little bit of a different experience in, in solo and multiplayer. So yeah. it, it, trying to get into the mind of a level designer here, <clears throat> you start a game, you say, we're making zombie army for dead war. Go. What, what do you start with? What's your base, base, base level one? Uh, so our, our base for starting zombie army four is basically let's, let's look at the previous game. Um, it's, it's analyzed the previous game and uh, Zombie Army Trilogy and look at what people liked and didn't like about that game, um, what we want to stay true to and what we think our fans expect and, and basically where the story ends. That's kind of, that's kind of our baseline. Um, and yeah, from there, we, uh, we basically start looking at, well, what do we want to do next? What do we think? What do we think this game needs now in, in like the modern gaming climate? What are people going to expect from us? Um, what do we think it? Where do we think the game is going to go next? Where do we want to take it? What features would we like to add? Uh, you know, if we were making Zombie Army Trilogy again, what features would we, what features would we add to that if we had the time? So that kind of approach. Um, and then so level design wise, we would look at, uh, where, where do we want this to be set? Um, and where kind of, where would be a good place to set it narratively? It leads on well from the story as well. And w- where would be good to explore that people haven't necessarily seen before in this type of game? Uh, so yeah, Italy was a, a really good fit for us because, uh, the Italian theater of war wasn't one which was necessarily well explored, um, so far in many games and it also provides you a really nice variety of environments uh, so like milan and venice uh, or, or rome are going to be completely different um italy's amazing for that sort of thing mm-hmm. so you, you you start off and you just have like a you, you start building prototype levels with these environments and they're kind of like empty streets and you're just shooting the zombies in them like how does it What's the, the level that you get to, um, and, and not like level in terms of like the level yeah, of the yeah. game, but like the, the level of development before you start trying to like play around in it? Uh, so what we've worked on first was, it's, I guess you could call it a proof of concept, even though we, we knew what we were making. Um, so it's your, it's kind of an initial internal demo, um, where we started to prove out some early gameplay elements. And really all that was first is, uh, Let's, let's, let's make some, let's make an arena where we can shoot some zombies. Let's get, let's get that basic working. Let's get, let's get a grunt zombie, 
working and start to get a feel for what a very basic layout and very basic first gameplay or siege experience might feel like. Um, that first demo consisted of, um, and this is, this is kind of, this is never playable externally. This is something we only had internally. Um, and it was, it was one arena, which was a siege. So we wanted to kind of nail what a siege was and what was fun about a siege. And, uh, that consisted of basically a house you were defending in the middle of a village. Uh, and it was getting to that house, then triggering uh, a defend moment, then spawning the zombies around it and defending it, basically. And you, that, that simple concept transfers into various places in, that we see in the final game. So I don't know if you remember, for instance, um, there's mission five, which is Genoa, where you'll go and you'll, you'll end up in a compound. Uh, you go meet up with a resistance in a compound after blowing your way through a, a rock fall. And, uh, you'll make your way to this compound and climb in and talk to the resistance members. And then they'll tell you a bit of story and tell you to defend that, help and defend that compound. And then we'll start spawning zombies. So that very early concept eventually sort of, sort of transfers into final gameplay moments. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's actually really interesting to know. And there were moments uh, throughout the game that I felt that I wasn't sure if this, uh, segment was uh designed to be at some point a, a siege moment so in the, the very very first level of the game uh, the first chapter you go into this uh resistance compound and there's the, the zombies in the cages but there's also these like machine guns overlooking streets and i was kind of curious i was like okay i wonder if this was at some point a later level that was there was a siege designed around it or if they were just trying to add flavor to the world at this moment uh what what was kind of the design process there I think there's, there's probably bits in both, bits of both of that as, uh, as, as we go through production and the levels naturally evolve, there's, there's areas that were going to be bigger siege moments that kind of got cut down and there's areas that are just added for flavor. The one specifically you're talking about is, is just a flavor moment. It's, it's if your friends are off killing zombies, you can go and explore a little bit and find this machine gun and just like hammer the zombies down the street. It's just a little bit of fun, really. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That that whole idea that uh, because it's like the first level, your friends are probably still going to be like learning the controls and like yeah. running around and doing stuff. So it's like yeah. having this little kind of toy box area that you can kind of just yeah, kind of dig around in. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Um, so I guess the the next question I have is um something that interests me, which is that it, it when you're when you're designing the game uh. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to think about how it works behind the scenes because different people are working on different parts at once. So, uh, what I was curious is is that when you're making new enemies, uh, and and oh, as the design process comes up and enemies are getting added and cut and changed, how does that change your job? And do you ever have to send over notes to the the the, the enemy creation guys, being like, hey, the machine gun zombies can't be so accurate, etc. Oh, all the time, yeah. So um, we're lucky that we have really good communication internally here, and uh, we can just walk over to each other's desks and kind of give feedback directly to you know the AI team um, or the or the you know core design team that designs the systems and features. Um, but yeah, we, we there's kind of there's a lot of feedback uh, loops all the time, and we we play test the game internally a lot together as well. So 
we'll play through the game together and we'll we'll talk between each between ourselves um, as we're playing uh, and make those sorts of notes but yeah sometimes um you know like an enemy will be uh, an enemy will be tweaked and we have to make allowances for that in the in the level design uh either to keep it flexible because we we kind of we kind of know it's going to change or um make or just make a change to the level to make that level work uh, make that enemy work now in the environment that it was intended for mm-hmm. it's a, any, a natural process i guess are there any enemies that were particularly hard to design around um i think that if, if you remember the shadow demon the one that teleports around uh-huh mainly because any any enemy that it just it can teleport anywhere basically and uh it can also teleport the players anywhere like because if it can go somewhere it can pick you up and take you there mm-hmm. uh, that's that's kind of a design of that enemy so yeah it's it's tricky to design an environment where an enemy can just teleport absolutely anywhere and potentially take the player you know it, it earlier on we had some bugs where it would uh before we'd kind of nailed down the extents of the level, we had some bugs where the shadow demon would, uh, a shadow officer would up teleport uh, a player outside of the playable space. It's like underwater outside the level. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, so that's definitely not intended. Um, yeah. And then we had to find ways of restricting that. So yeah. Uh, did, you, like did you guys also design the horde modes just before I forget? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so we have a, we had some designers on, uh, basically in, based now of a studio in Warwick, which, uh, did the horde levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did you oversee those as well to try to make sure that the curve was right or how did that work? Yeah, so I was overseeing the horde levels as well. Um, and basically the way we planned those was to take sections of the campaign that worked really well as siege moments and um, start to build those into, uh, you know, cool, cool wave-based horde survival levels. Mm-hmm. So getting into the brain of the, the rebellion level design team here, uh, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, when I, when I, whenever I'm playing a game, uh, having done the job for as long as I have, uh, my, my, my brain starts ticking into like, okay, so I wonder how this came to be moment. So one of the moments I was thinking of was the, the, the hell planes and you're, you're defending against the hell planes in Venice. And I was thinking, I wonder if at some point in the design process, they were thinking that hell planes were going to be like a boss fight enemy or something like that. And these AA guns were, were usable. And so I'm kind of curious from a level design standpoint, do you guys start small and then build to big, or do you go big and then scale back with what you guys have? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, designers, I think in general, if you asked, if you, uh, I think if you asked our art team and, code team we de- we definitely dream very big first <laughs> so uh yeah kind of i think that's the design teams dreaming big is probably the the bane of their existence <laughs> so uh, yeah we we aim very high and uh and then we 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 kind of get a bit more realistic and we start to uh, problem solve and work through the problems uh and we end up 
we kind of push the bar as, as high as we can in the end. But yeah, there's always, there's always compromises to make. Um, well, not always, but there's a lot of the time you have to compromise. Um, but yeah, so with, uh, VAA guns, actually we, we went through those same thought processes. We, we thought, you know, could we use the AA guns? Could we shoot those down? Um, and yeah, so we, we kind of think of all these things as well. And I think originally it started though. We, we just wanted a way to bring enemies into that environment, but we wanted a way of doing it kind of to bring enemies in straight on top of the player. Um, and also as part of our narrative, um, we were, we were trying to get across that there was this sort of bunkered down group of resistance that were defending this plaza. Um, while their while their friends have basically escaped, so they're they're holding the they're holding the line basically. They're the last remaining forces in there, and the uh, yeah the, the zombie forces are basically trying to clear out the city. So they're throwing everything they've got at this at this last resistance force, um, and we wanted something that was quite impactful and a bit over the top. And that's where zombie planes came from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you want dramatic. You want to go bigger, yeah. go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's and that's one of the things I loved about um, Zombie Army Four is that like I never really felt I was hitting the dull moment. You know. Yeah, I think I think uh, it's been a fun project. There's been a lot of really over the top ideas, aiming high, um, be dramatic as possible, have a bit of fun with it. Don't take it too seriously, but um, still with the uh, oddly with the authentic World War Two in the back of your head. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like it's it's grounded enough in realities that uh, people will be able to like see ripples of the real world there, but like not nearly uh, enough to ruin my fun. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's I think that's a craziness. Like I've so I've described it to some people as basically like a you know a, a crazy zombie shooter but believable uh, like weirdly believable because it feels a bit grounded in reality like it could have actually happened if you if you're willing to kind of you know suspend belief a little bit <laughs> yeah um i i god remember when Remember when the History Channel, like, it was, this is like a weird interstitial period of, like, the History Channel, where, like, the History Channel used to be history, and then it was the World War II channel for, like, years. <laughs> and then when it started getting weird, because now History Channel is, like, ancient aliens and pawn stars. It's weird. <laughs> um, but there was that period of time where there was, like, all these documentaries on, like, the occult history of the Nazis and yeah. things like that. Exactly. Yeah. If you if you look into the if you look if you actually look into the history and the deep lore, and you you start to delve into a bit more of the crazy stuff in World War Two, you find out that this stuff, you know, existed. The the theory existed. Yeah. Uh, so so I guess that's the weird thing. It's it it seems crazy on the surface. I mean, it is crazy, but um, like this this is actually grounded in reality somewhat. And you know, we we have to do internally we have to do that research as well we have to start going on the internet and going to look up nazi death cults and it's just the weirdest day at work <laughs> <laughs> well no okay so uh, this is this is a fun tangent but um 
those like YouTube, not YouTube, uh, Wikipedia rabbit holes that you fall down are like some of the most entertaining days at work that you can have, you know, like we're like, just like looking, you're, you're looking up Nazi death cults and, 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 and things like that, trying to find, you know, yeah. real history to ground your zombie. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the sort of thing where you end up on some sort of watch list. Like, <laughs> Oh man, dude, the rabbit hole that I, I've been falling down lately. Um, well, so my girlfriend is Polish and, uh, <clears throat> she, um, has been falling down the rabbit hole of weird American religious cults, which, yeah. uh, we, we have quite a few, uh, here in, here in the States. And she's like, have you heard of this place called Waco, Texas? I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with what happened <laughs> at Waco, Texas. And she's like, why do you people believe such things? And I'm like, okay, it's not all of us. <laughs> Yeah, but I I think that's the cool thing about Zombie Army as well. That if you if you really pay attention to the deep lore in the game, there's there's some interesting history there as well. And uh, yeah, I mean we get people who write comments and reviews which will say they they they've learned history from playing the game, which is which is a weird thing to hear considering the the genre. But you know, over <laughs> over. Yeah, but all the, all the, you know, all the, uh, all the weapons and stuff and all the, all the, that's, that's all authentic weaponry. Apart from the, uh, obviously, like, you know, electric attachments and stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that you have this weird, um, cause Rebellion, uh, from the Sniper Elite days has always been, like, very well known for making their realistic bullet physics, um, uh, really, like, a uh, high level of, of recreation in, like, how, these weapons work in in like field conditions sorry um but what i so in 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 you you do carry a lot of that realism over in terms of the physics in to zombie army you know the way that a bullet will how exactly will it would it bounce off of a rib if it just hits one rib and then breaks through a spleen and then hits the hip bone how much density is in the hip bone that will cause the bullet to deflect into like another zombie's eye socket would it stop in the eye socket like you know the, these are questions that like have to get answered by the well, physics yeah. And then, but yeah those are questions like we have to we have to go through those loops of answering those questions yeah and you know there's, there's a guy whose job it is to make a disgusting uh, zombie testicle that when you shoot it, it explodes. Like that is, that is literally someone's job. Yeah. Like to sit, to sit here and make testicles that look disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and kind of think, and think, how would this explode if a bullet hits it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine there's a dude that's like testing the, the, the testicle density and how much it'll <laughs> like actually like, curve the bullet because it has to a little it has to a little bit like affect the physics even if it's a soft spot on the body and he's like sitting there like racking his brain over this testicle density he's like i want to get it just right you know yeah. exactly yeah it's uh it's the weirdest job to have uh, but yeah um but yeah it, we've got full bullet ricochet in our in our physics system as well like like we did in sniper elite so that's all kind of uh, it, it will hit a bone or a hit a piece of metal and it will, it will ricochet off that and go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and that's, that's a really fun part of, uh, uh, the Sniper Elite franchise in general. Um, but then, you know, of course you then mix it with, and now the bullets explode. I've gotten the upgrade to make it so that my bullets explode. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I've just, I, I can't imagine 
the the weird conversations that must happen like within the office about like uh the like someone having a problem with the realism not being right on the <laughs> exploding electric bullets going through testicles yeah uh, and i guess uh you know we'll we'll watch zombie bodies be chopped up in a giant fan and go uh, you know there's not enough body parts that have come off that yeah. type of types of conversations that happen there's the one nerd in the back of the room that's like, excuse me, I'm only counting seven arms. There should be eight. Exactly. Oh, yeah. so I got to fix the arm generation chopper or whatever. That head, that head doesn't pop enough. Yeah. I guess that is also something that's new in uh, Zombie Army 4 is the traps, which are kind of a, a holdover from uh, Strange Brigade. Uh, all those, those very variety of traps. What was like the hardest... Was there, were there any traps that were like surprisingly hard to work in or surprisingly hard to get right? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, this is mainly down to a kind of making it seem believable thing because everything in one of the, one of the main things we wanted to get in the game world is uh, this weird sense of believability. Like someone has, people have lived here, they've lived in this world and they've built it. The resistance fighters are surviving and they're, they're building their fortifications and traps to survive. So everything needed to seem like it it was believably built by someone. So the the propeller, uh, you know, plane propeller blade, it was probably particularly hard to place because it's like you know where where realistically would someone put this if they were if they were defending a base? And sometimes that starts to fight a bit with. I would be cool to put it here. So you have to make some compromises sometimes and kind of the gameplay always really comes first. You want it to be fun to play and you want it to have cool moments. Um, but then you, you just try to make it as believable as possible. Yeah. So what, what was your probably would say most influential reference? Um, like for the entire game? Uh, no, no, sorry. Let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, what would you say is, uh, when you were playing other games and looking at other material, as uh, references to what you guys wanted to do in Zombie Army 4, what would you say was your most influential inspiration? Um, so I think we primarily obviously comes from previous Zombie Army games. Um, that's that's kind of our starting point. But we also play a ton of um, you know awesome competing titles. Uh, the obvious ones are going to be Left 4 Dead. Um, we looked at World War Z when that came out. Um, yeah, it's probably, and I uh, played a bit of Vermintide as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very standard, um, story-based, uh, st- story-based co-op. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> Cause I was, I was thinking with the traps and, and stuff when we were talking about the propellers, I was definitely getting, uh, flashbacks to Half-Life 2 with the Ravenholm level and the, 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 the traps that Father Gregory had set up to fight the, head crab zombies and how they tried to look like natural, like some guy had just cobbled these together yeah. within this world. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the, like the, yeah, exactly. So the propeller blades, for instance, um, you know, they, we looked at, you know, what plane would they have taken this propeller blade off? Uh, we need this, we need the propeller to hook up to the engine and it needs to be mounted on something that looks like it makes sense. Like someone's built this. Um, so we definitely, yeah, definitely, have those sorts of vibes yeah yeah i i love the zombie uh attractor trap the explosive one that was like zombies come over here because like of course yeah. zombies wouldn't know what it's saying so it just like tells it when it's going to happen <laughs> i just thought that was funny 
Yeah, exactly. So I, I, one of our, I can't remember who it was now, but, um, one of the development team basically just went in our audio booth and just spat a load of lines and we just, he just picked one that sounded funny and put a muffle over it. And yeah, that one worked. Um, <laughs> it's just a, it's, a, yeah, it is a great trap and it, 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 it's, it's one of those traps as well that kind of, it's fun. It's a bit silly, but again, it looks like someone has built it. It looks, it looks realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, last, the last enemy of the game is huge. It's this like giant building sized monstrosity of a vehicle and oh, um, spoilers. Well, I'm trying to keep it spoiler free. <laughs> so I'm like, it, and it technically isn't the last enemy. So like, I'm just talking about how the game okay. ends yeah, yeah. on a big climactic moment that everyone should definitely play. You can buy it now in the Epic Game Store for $50. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but it ends on this really big moment. And um, was when you were making that as spoiler-free as possible, mm-hmm. were you ever thinking, how are we going to top this in Zombie Army 5 if we do a Zombie Army 5? <laughs> like, are we writing ourselves uh, into a corner? Uh, uh, potentially. I think it, it's a it's a future problem to solve, uh, potentially. It, I, I'd love there to be another one. Um, but yeah, I think, but yeah, definitely a future problem to solve. We don't, I guess it's not really a conscious thought at the time. We just try to do what fits right for this game. Um, and you just try and make kind of the most dramatic and impactful ending possible in that sense. Uh, yeah, potentially we're going to have to think of something new if we do it. If we do it, if we do a next one, we're going to have to think about how we, how we kind of top that. But yeah, that's a, that's a problem for our future selves. Yeah. Keyword it- being if. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No well, new games confirmed. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so this this one isn't an if though, because you've already announced that there's DLC coming out. Uh, how do you go about making the DLC fresh? Um, like you know, making it so it's not just harder, you know, version. It's like feels unique and fresh. So the DLC kind of takes the same approach to the campaign. It, it's its own mini story again. Um, so we, the freshness kind of comes from a whole new little story to explore uh and um yeah i I actually can't remember how much we've announced so i i don't want to talk too much about um, you've announced the the vampire things the vampire bat oh that's true and stuff they are the trailer so yeah we've um there are new enemies to encounter and they will behave differently so there's there's new there's new uh new experiences for the, the player to learn how to fight against those new enemies um yeah i think there's just a whole new little story to explore there um and a whole new host of weapons to use as well yeah well let's let's keep it vague so that i don't have to push another fucking episode because some guy (laughs) broke an nda um uh so the the next question is uh have you ever has there ever been talks in rebellion of taking the franchise to different shores so you know now that uh this game has a thing that happens have you ever thought about you know maybe taking it to the the japanese front or you know having like a zombie stalin or something like that i think they're all really interesting uh you know parts of the war to explore and i guess that's the great thing about world war ii that there's there was so much of it <laughs> there was there was a lot of world war ii <laughs> there was out. a lot of world war ii there's a, there was a lot of locations and a lot of those locations are kind of still I guess a bit largely unexplored. Like I think that's the thing that 
we try to do as a company um, on our on our franchises, such as like Zombie Army and Sniper Elite, right. we try to tell the, the the stories which people haven't necessarily heard of much, because um, there's going to be the the obvious uh, you know the obvious headlines of World War Two, which most people have heard of. But the ones we we try to tell a lot of the untold stories and um yeah try and I guess teach a little bit of history well in our games as well. Well, yeah, because uh, Cyber Elite Four was the uh, Italian front, Cyber Elite Three was the African front, and if I if I'm not mistaken, the plot of the original Sniper Elite was uh, you're playing as a sniper, a German sniper that's been hired by the Russians to kill a scientist before he defects. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So they're they're all kind of stories or locations in the in World War Two, which um, are potentially new to people. Uh, yeah, did I get the plot of the first one right? Because that's like vaguely uh, my mind. I'd I'd have to Wikipedia that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I am trying to remember, but anyways, uh, I it's that's a long time ago. With the original it is a, it is a long time ago. It's way before my time here. So, yeah. yeah. What is it? So Rebellion's been around for like what twenty five over twenty five years now. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I can't recall, but I think it's something like nineteen ninety two or something. Yeah, it's it's a long time ago. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been making games for a long time. Yeah, it's come a long way. Has there ever been any discussion to include previous IPs in to the newer models of stuff? You know, like you have the the iron the Iron Fury Iron Storm. Iron Storm. That that was the World War One shooter, right? Uh, I think so. I'd have to check. <laughs> it was like an alternate World War One, where the World War One had been going on for sixty years, and so it was this mix of like trench warfare with right. like super future tech. I don't know. I always always thought that would be fun to see as a, a newer idea. I think we 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 tend to look at a lot of the back catalog and a lot of the IP that Rebellion owns and see how we can work that into our games like zombie army 4 we we wanted to try and get some uh references from other franchises in the game as well um but yeah i think we we generally have quite a good catalog of ip here rebellion to explore what so, are yeah. some of the uh, references from previous games that people might miss um i can't i can't remember if they made it into the game now so i don't want to say too much <laughs> so um yeah at any point where a zombie rips off his arm with a grenade in it and it rolls itself at you? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we've got anything like that in the game. No. Uh, okay. Because uh, that would be a sweet Never Dead reference, which is something I, I was hoping to oh, see. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my... my So the the, the kind of the, the, the question I want to ask now is kind of more about your your job and you as a person within the company. So if someone, <clears throat> so the purpose of this podcast, other than of course, to be hilarious is to try to educate people on like, you know, industry jobs, what they can do, how they can, uh, better yeah. themselves as, as people that are trying to work in the industry. So how would you suggest that first off, indie developers go about forming their mindset around level design? And secondly, how would someone get the job that you have? Uh, so I think anyone looking to get into level design should be kind of approaching it from a portfolio first basis. Um, a lot of the uh, hiring is done based on portfolio and seeing, uh, 
you know, previous work or work done in spare time. Um, so it's great to see people making their own games or making their own levels in other game engines or even, you know, working on, um, you know, like mods or uh, map editors inside games as well. So I think, I think my first advice would be to just grab, grab a game engine or grab a map editor and just start building something. Um, and then the next step would be to ask for feedback from wherever you can, uh, whether that be industry professionals already, uh, or you're just, or just friends, get people to play it and see how they play it, make some notes, uh, and then start to iterate your levels. Uh, and most importantly, show your workings and show your thought processes. It's really important to see how people think and see how people problem solved or you know addressed issues and changed things um, as something got iterated um yeah to answer your question about how someone would become uh, a lead level designer um it's just a little bit of a different track i guess i guess you i guess you progress into more of a management role it's a little bit different to uh making levels um my my progression into lead level designer was i guess a bit more natural like i progressed into a senior role on sniper elite 4 and then i was uh, basically leading the dlc team on sniper elite 4 um and that basically meant i had i had some experience uh, making sniper elite 4 levels so i was able to translate that experience into what we wanted to make for the DLC levels. And from there, I, I started to work on the zombie army team after Sniper Elite 4 and the team started to grow. Um, so I guess, uh, that, that just comes with experience progressing to a, a lead role. Um, but yeah, it becomes a bit more, uh, management focused and you start to look at the higher, higher picture, uh, rather than one focused level. Yeah. So what's something that you do now in your management role or in your job that when you first started working at Rebellion, you never expected to be doing? Um, I guess, I guess there's loads of things which, um, which I guess I didn't necessarily know Ellie did that was, uh, which is kind of obvious to me now, which is like doing, uh, performance reviews of staff members. Um, or, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of meetings, really. Yeah. A, a lot of meetings with, um, various different department heads. Uh, so you, you spend a lot of time, um, problem solving with other departments. Um, and you kind of have to, uh, uh, do a lot of weighing up, um, so the difference, the difference between working on a level is you kind of, you kind of just dream big. You have always, you have a lot of big ideas. Um, and some of them you're able to do and some of them you're not. But then when you, when you're a lead, you're the person that kind of has to be the, the dream killer sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting contrast. Uh, cause you have to start to weigh up, um, schedules and, um, <coughs> what's possible in the time you've got and prioritize work and prioritize features you want. 
um, and all that sort of thing. So I guess yeah. you just you look at you start to look at the bigger picture more. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely understand that. It's it's kind of like the difference uh, for you know with with on my side of the the fence with the journalism thing. It's like back when I was a freelance writer, my entire life was about trying to like justify why it was important that they gave me money to do do the things <laughs> I wanted. <clears throat> and now that I'm like in charge of like seeing the money and like paying everyone, I'm like, you're mad. <laughs> like, how can you? <laughs> and I never thought I'd be that guy, you know. Exactly, yeah, but I guess there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, kind of fighting for things on your team's behalf as well that goes on. Um, so it's, you know, if you, I have to try and draw compromises with other departments so that um, my team can potentially have the, the things in their levels they'd like to have. Um, so yeah, there's some of that as well. Yeah, I would say that, you know, on a personal side, you know, going from, um, just staff to management the the hardest thing for me is you you're always fighting for your team but at the same time you have to be the one that tells them that they can't do things sometimes so sometimes people like assume that you're the one that's it's hard to balance being the 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 guy that can cut things off with also people understanding that you're always fighting for them even if it's not always the result that they want you know yeah i think that's just game development as well like there's there's only so much time you've got usually and um, you, you have to compromise and ev- like all the other departments also have their schedules to stick to. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got things they want to achieve as well. So it, it just comes down to compromising really and, um, you know, prioritizing the things you, you absolutely believe you need to make this game the best game it can be. Well, uh, and that's not just game design, that's business in life. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, at the end of the day, so many of the concepts that go into game design are just like uh, having the, the, the ability to make it so that all the enemies fit into the level. That's just like communication skills and like having an office where people can talk to each other. Like if that breaks down, it's not because you're bad at making games, it's because you're bad at like talking to people, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, game development is uh, particularly so much about and level design particularly is about iteration and you, you know, you, you iterate constantly and the, the thing you make right at the start of the project will probably never be, never be the thing that ends up in the game. Um, <laughs> like you, you've got to be prepared to kind of, um, sometimes, you know, not be precious about your work. Um, like I, I've, I've, on previous games I've had, uh, previous workplaces I've had entire levels cut or you know an entire section of a level cut um, for for various different reasons and I think you've just got to be prepared to kind of take that on the chin sometimes and uh, and kind of yeah prioritize what what's what's really important in the time you've got um, yeah. yeah yeah no I definitely I definitely get it like um you know, uh, being able to accept what's, what's being cut and to have pride in your work, but also be able to see the bigger picture and also not take it personally when things get cut. I always yeah. tell people that are um, starting into the, the journalism or writing in general is that, like, look, if you can't take criticism, don't don't do this because like <laughs> yeah. and, and like I'll tell people like 
I'm sitting down and I'm editing their their article and I'm like, okay, this needs to go, this needs to go, you need to add this, and they're getting like upset. I'm like, look, if you if you can't take my criticism sitting here being like friendly to you, how the hell are you gonna like take some dude on the internet like calling you out on all your bullshit? Like that guy's not gonna like have any like uh, like he's not gonna try to be nice about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. They and and as well like you know someone someone giving you that feedback on the internet potentially isn't going to explain why they think that you know that's wrong uh i guess what what i try to do is explain what like why you know why something's changing or uh or why or how something could be better whereas yeah you you probably aren't going to get that feedback uh from you know someone making a comment on the internet no no they're just gonna call you a bad word and move on yeah yeah uh so um I got to uh we got to start wrapping up here real quick but um you know for the for the kind of wanted to end on a a more fun question which is in in future in a future project or even in this project what it was something that uh you really really wish could have been included that you really hope to like work into something in the future I don't know that's a tough question um I guess I guess I'd like to explore just more more crazy enemies and see how far we can how we can how far we can push zombified mutated enemies. I think that's that's just that's just fun to do because um, yeah. we've got some awesome concept artists who just dream up some horrific crazy creatures. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that that's going to be fun to explore in in the future. Yeah, I mean, I what'd you say? <laughs> theoretically theoretically in the future yeah well, no, i always wanted to see um you know some of the technology of I, I was saying this before some of the technology of sniper elite brought into like previous titles like i would love to see something along the lines of uh, a sniper elite with alien versus predator <laughs> yeah uh i mean that yeah that'd be pretty awesome as well like uh alien versus predator is something people keep asking us for basically <laughs> Well, you guys aren't doing Predator Hunting Ground, right? That's someone else? Yeah, that'd be someone else, yeah. I'm trying to remember who's doing that, because I was like, it looks okay. And I didn't want to say that if it was you guys or one of your subsidiaries. Yeah, we've, we've had some, I guess we've had some crazier ideas, which we've had to kind of cut from the game, but I don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I feel that. Um, so, you know, uh, I just want to say... Uh, how 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 long has your journey through the industry been personally? So if someone's you know, coming out of college, coming into this, uh, how long is it going to take to become the next lead level designer of Rebellion? Um, so that's a good question. I think I'm going to look this up. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been doing this about yeah about ten years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I so I spent the first five years at another company at Codemasters and then I've been in Rebellion about five years as well mm-hmm. um, and I don't know I don't know how many games I've made in that time a few quite a few but um, yeah so I I guess yeah it's taken me 10 years um, I still feel like there's there's a lot of learning to do a lot of personal growth to do so yeah uh, no you're perfect <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to, to say that anyone out there that's, that's 
listening to this and is, is trying to take something positive away from it. Um, I guess just keep working and keep iterating and keep trying to find the best version. And sometimes the, the best version isn't the version with the most stuff. I guess that was a question I didn't get to ask earlier is that, you know, was there a time in the game that you had to actually take things out? You know, it wasn't just putting more stuff in. It was taking oh, things yeah. out to make it better. That happened. That happened all through our development. Yeah. So, you know, areas got, there were some areas of, uh, mission two that got made much smaller like that. Um, for instance, yeah, that, that happens all the time, constantly throughout development. Um, you, you're constantly evaluating and play testing, and yeah, you're, you're taking stuff out as well as adding new things. Yeah. yeah. So don't don't be afraid to let people take a crack at your your design and to get yeah. feedback from it because that's how you're going to get better. I'd say again, don't be afraid to don't be afraid to start again from scratch. Yeah. Like, because um, you will have learned lessons uh, from making something which allows you to make something better the second time round. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely don't be afraid to throw it all away and start again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. So anyways, guys, um, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ted. It's been I great. really appreciate it. Are you heading to, to PAX now? Unfortunately, I'm not. That would have been awesome. But we are, our team is out. They should have flown out already now. So they should be arriving uh, I don't know. Uh, not too long, I guess. Yeah, I couldn't, but, I couldn't uh, tell if you were gonna be going out to PAX or not this time because I'm I'm heading out there. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Morning. It would have been cool to see you. But if you if you head over to our stand, you'll find uh, Rob, who you met before, mm-hmm. and uh, one of our senior level designers, Beck. Um, he worked on Mission One and Two mm-hmm. of Zombie Army Four, so he'll he'll be good to chat to if you're out I- there. You know what I've actually considered is um, because we're bringing my camera crew. Uh, you always want to put some kind of like light or visual aid so that people can have like an eye line of where to look to at the camera. So I was really considering using the zombie shark from the collector's edition <laughs> and just gluing it to the top of the camera so that people would know exactly where their eyes go. That'd be amazing. Yeah, definitely do that. Yeah. The problem is, is that um, when when you do fun stuff like that, people like stop you in the middle of the convention to ask about it. I'm like, I'm I'm presently shooting a video. What makes you believe that you can come up and start grabbing my camera? Can I can I buy this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, you know, uh, once again, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on, and for all the listeners at home, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, if you're if you liked what you heard, we have a lot of other really great episodes that uh, we've we've done lately. Last episode, we talked to Justin Renard from Doom Trooper, um, and we've we've had just you know just so just keep tuning in. Go ahead and click that subscribe button if you're on SoundCloud or if you're on I don't know. We're we just got on iTunes. Do whatever they do on iTunes to get me money i guess uh also go ahead and check out dreadxp.com where you're going to find all the latest news reviews articles interviews and stuff that we do and uh also follow us on twitter at at dreadxp at dreadxp uh we should be the only one that you find it should be that hard just figure it out you know you're you're all smart people out there um well probably not you're all gamers so not that smart but anyways uh thank you all for tuning in and uh I'll see you guys uh, next time. Bye. The hero has to have honor, and a liar has no honor. That's the definition of hero. A hero must have honor. Well, if you're a liar, you don't have honor. And you know, that's interesting. I posed the question once, who's more powerful, liar or hero? Clearly liar, because hero says thou shalt not kill. 
There's no asterisk there. Thou shalt not kill. Yet, if you kill for liar, you're not only doing, allowed to do it, you're a hero. What makes you a hero because you go kill for liar? You did your job. Kyle was probably a great sniper. He did his job. But killing makes you a hero? He was a great Navy SEAL sniper. But use the word hero? When how many people did he kill in the world? A hero to me is someone who helps people, not kills them.